As you have your Bibles open there to uh, Philippians 4, as we continue to work through this uh, letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, uh, we're going to uh, study through these verses together. And as we do, we're also going to look at a passage in Galatians 6, if you want to mark uh, that place in your Bible, Galatians 6. And then we'll also look at John 17, a couple of verses in John 17, if you want to uh, mark a place there. Galatians 6 and then John 17. So let's pause for a moment and ask for the Lord to help us today. Father, we just want to take just a few moments in the kind of in the middle of our worship today just to pause and to know that you are God. Just to let everything else that uh, kind of keeps us in a hustle and bustle all week long, just to kind of let those things set to the side for a few moments. And just to kind of dwell in your presence, to enjoy you as we were created to do. We love you, Lord. We we love being able to sing to you. We, We love it that you invite us to talk to you. We love it that you have spoken to us. We, we, Father, love it that you are such a God that you invite your people into your presence to dwell with them and to dwell even within them. There, there truly is no God like you. All, all other gods are actually made up, but even... In our, in our best minds as creatures, even the gods we make up pale in comparison to who you are. So we just want to quiet our hearts, quiet our minds as we approach your beautiful, precious, eternal, gracious truth. There are things that we need to hear that I won't say today. Or there are things that we need to hear that I will say, but because I'm not a good sayer or because the way I say it gets in the way, we just ask you, God, to overcome all of those obstacles that block our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes from reveling in your word. I just think, Father, if this was the if, if I knew this was the last time I would ever preach, I I want to preach like that. 
if we knew this was the if we knew this was the last sermon we would ever hear before we stood before you, I, I want us to hear like that. I want us to respond like that. So we, we do, God, need your help. We, we always need your help. And thank you for being so gracious and kind to always be our help. So move upon us today, Father, and accomplish your will. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, by the time we get to the final chapter of Philippians, this is where, as the saying goes, this is where the rubber meets the road. As with most of Paul's letters, he, he gives his teaching first, and then he moves into the application And so this is what we're seeing here in Philippians. Doctrine, Paul begins his letters with with doctrine because doctrine is the foundation for Christian living. Doctrine is what gives shape to our faith, what gives direction and root to our faith. And truth, eternal truth, not not relative or subjective truth, or your truth or my truth, lowercase t, but objective eternal truth, capital T. Truth is very powerful because it's unchanging. And, and, and truth, truth is very not only powerful, but it's very practical because it's truth. It, it always works. It, it's always real. It, it's always true to life. And so truth, God's truth, is a very powerful instrument. It's a very powerful living thing that we hold in our laps and that we look to together, that we've heard read over us today. But we won't experience any of the, of the freeing and, and transforming and sanctifying grace of this truth of God. We won't experience it. We won't walk in it. We won't joy in it. We won't know it if we fail to put it into practice. That's when it comes alive in us. It's already alive, but it becomes alive in us as we live it out. As we experience that that God's promises are actually true for me. That that God's standard is actually a blessing for me. That God's instructions are, are actually for my good and for life. So the Christian life is built brick by brick upon learning and doing Learning and doing, it it takes both. If you just have one or the other, then then you build a house that's missing a roof and and missing a whole side of a home. That's not really good when the storms come. It must be learning and doing. It takes both to know the fullness of fellowship with Christ. We, We have to grow in our knowledge of God. 
We have to grow in understanding who God is and what he said and why he said it and how it applies. We have to grow in our knowledge of God in order to know how to live for God. So the knowledge, growing in God's knowledge, is not an end in and of itself. It's a means to an end. God has revealed his will. He's revealed his commands. David said, I love your commands. I love your law because God has given us all of that so that we might know how to live for his glory. But if our journey is only collecting knowledge, growing in understanding and and, and collecting these piles of biblical knowledge without ever really putting it into practice, what what we become is know-it-alls who are good for nothing. Know-it-all's good for nothing. The Bible says knowledge puffs up. Merely knowing what the Bible says results in a large ego with very little impact for the kingdom. And nothing really cuts, nothing really keeps our our tendency to righteous pride, self-righteous pride, nothing really keeps that at bay and keeps that in its place and keeps that down better or quite like living out the faith. Because you can't live out the faith as a prideful person. Remember we said earlier in our study of Philippians, every step toward Christ is a step of humility. You simply can't grow. You can't take the next step in Christ. You can't keep moving Christward when we're full of pride. So that doing, James says, remember James? This is, this is James's point in his letter, isn't it? He says, be doers of the word, not hearers only. And later he writes, faith without works is dead. It's meaningless. It's like it's non-existent. So again, Christianity doesn't really come alive in our lives until we live live it out in our lives. And that's where Paul goes in chapter 4. He spent three chapters... And he's been exposing false teaching. He's been warning the church of false teaching that is spreading and that is influencing. And then he's been teaching the way of Christ. So he's been, he's been teaching what, what the church needs to be aware of, what's going on outside the church. There's this false teaching that can get in. And so you need to be aware of that false teaching that's going around outside the church. And then there's something going on inside the church you need to be aware of. And that's where he goes when he teaches on the way of Christ. Remember that great passage in Philippians 2? Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, humbled himself, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. He humbled himself, even to the point of death, to the point of the cross. So so he goes And he's teaching, his point is unity. How do you achieve unity in the body? And Paul is saying, you've got to have humility. Humility 
will help foster the steps that are necessary for unity. That's Paul's point. And so now he moves from doctrine to application, to very specific application, right? He actually names two women in the church. Can you imagine Iodia and Syntyche sitting in the church the first time the letter was read to the church in Philippi? It's to everybody. And the elder of the church, uh, one of the elders of the church at Philippi, one of their pastors stands up and he says, here's, here's a letter from the apostle Paul. And he begins to read and he, he begins to read about the need for unity. And you wonder if they, those two ladies kind of sit back and think, uh-oh, what's he heard? And they begin to look around and I bet Iodia says, I hope he really gets Syntyche. And Syndicate's saying, man, he's going he's gonna to really lay into Eodia in a minute. That's how we do, isn't it? But this is where the, da- this is the daily fight of faith. This is where it's fault. This is where our faith either means something or it's just words. When it comes to living it or just shaking our head and agreeing with it in Sunday school and in Bible study and in preaching. Will we believe in God's truth and and rely on God's grace enough to take action? Faith without works. Will we believe? You see, doctrine, doctrine always requires, it even demands a response. When, when we dig into the doctrine of Scripture, it all, always demands a response. Even if it's just worship, if it's just thanksgiving, it, it demands a response. It's not true believing, hear me well, it's not true believing until it's real living. We don't really believe our faith will work until we put it to work. And that response, that response to God's truth always requires faith. It always requires a measure of us believing something. Believing in something. Whether it's a promise or a truth or a command. And even trusting that God's word is true And best for us, even when, and especially when, it's really difficult to follow. It's not an easy thing to do. So let's look. Let's let's walk through here how Paul is guiding the church. and, And let's take his guidance as our own. Because for some reason, even this specific application, when Paul is writing this under the direction of the Spirit of God, this becomes part of inspired 
truth. So as Paul is penning this letter to the church at Philippi, the Holy Spirit is working all around and in and through Paul because what he's saying here, God says, not only does that one church need to hear it, but every one of my churches through the ages until my son returns, they're going to need to hear this message. So the Holy Spirit's going to attend all of this to make sure it's accurate exactly what I want to communicate as Paul's writing and this is going to get into the New Testament and here we are in 2023 reading what Paul wrote and the spirit applying it to us so the first thing we see is Paul's affirmation before Paul gives them specific instruction on how to apply his teaching on the way of Christ. He, he wants them to be assured of his love for them. In other words, he, he wants them to know he's not being judgmental. He's not being condemning. He's not being nitpicking. You know, he, he's not beating. He's not taking his, his Bible scroll, right, and beating them over the head with a scroll, he wants them to understand he genuinely loves them. He, he genuinely desires to see them excel in their journey with Jesus. He doesn't want this to be the end of their story. He doesn't want this to be the, the demise of the church of Christ at Philippi. There's so much more for them. God has so much more. There's so much more of Jesus just waiting for them. But there's a little hurdle here. They're going to have to get over that hurdle. Because that hurdle can become a huge mountain, a huge roadblock, a huge obstacle that will keep the gospel from progressing. So he, he, he genuinely desires for them. He wants to see them grow in Christ's likeness. But it's going to require a few difficult but necessary steps. And so he refers to them as his brothers. He, he wants them to know. He says, therefore, my, my brothers. He wants them to know he's, he's not standing over them in this letter, pointing his finger, you know, fussing at them. He's with them. He, he's their brother. He's, they're, they're arm in arm together. They're in this thing together. They're his brothers. He calls them his joy and crown. He, they, they need to know that just because they've got some work to do, just because they've got some steps to make, that doesn't mean that Paul has given up. That doesn't mean he's disappointed. That doesn't mean he's, you know, he's, he's discouraged with them and, and he, he wants nothing more to do with them. They are his joy. He says, you are my joy and my crown. He, he, he loves them. He takes encouragement from them. Their testimony for Jesus has, has encouraged him. No, no one is perfect. No church is perfect. No individual Christian is perfect. Everyone has another step to take in their walk. Everyone has another area to give attention to. Everyone has, ha, has another, has another uh, obstacle. Everyone has another uh, moment with Christ. Another place to go forward in their walk with the Lord. Paul says, you are my joy and my crown. They're, he, they're the crown, he says. Paul views them as exemplary in, in many ways. Not every, not every church plant survives. 
And here is a church in Philippi where just not too long ago there was no witness for Christ, no gospel being proclaimed, no gospel being lived, no Jesus being exalted. And now there's a group of people who are actually, this is absolutely a miracle. Paul says, you are my crown. My joy and my crown. And to drive home the point, he tells them he loves them. He longs for them. And beyond just brothers, he calls them his beloved. You know, pastors are in this kind of unique role of of loving God's people, but being the ones who God calls to offer correction and offer that next step. So pastors, ministers, apostles in this, in this day are called to correct the church and, and instruct that specific application always based on the word, always rooted in doctrine, not rooted in the pastor's preference, not rooted in the trend, not rooted in this section of the congregation, always rooted in Scripture. But it should always be done in a spirit of love, a a desire to see the fellowship grow in faith and with thankfulness for the evidences of grace. If it's God's church, there's always evidences of grace that are there. I was thinking about that this week and I thought, wow, what, what are the evidences of grace? What, what would, if someone says, will you, Pastor Grassy Pond, tell us from verse 1. And I thought about what we just heard earlier. And we have a member of our congregation that is, has been so caught up in the gospel and Christ and hearing from him that he's going to leave the comfort and the security of America and go to a place and live, not visit for two weeks. I've done that a lot and called it a mission trip. And that's good. That's great. But he's not going to visit. He's, he's going to live among people who desperately need Christ, but who don't want him. That's a joy. That's a crown. We, we've also got one of, our, one of our young students who spent last summer in France on mission and is spending this summer in Colorado on mission, working with a church plant to help them get the gospel out in their community. That's a joy. That's a crown. I received a letter uh, this week from one of the um, leaders of our South Carolina convention, and it was a thank you letter addressed to me. should have been addressed to you. It was addressed to me, and it was thanking us for being one of the top 50 churches in giving to missions. 
in the state of South Carolina. Now, I got that letter and, and read it right as I was preparing this message. And I thought, wow, that's a joy. That's a crown. That God's grace is evidence in, in, in generous giving. That God's grace is evidence in generous service. If someone in this congregation says, hey, I got a need, it doesn't take long for that need to get met in this congregation. That's a joy. That's a crown. I've had at least, I know at least a dozen of you or more that have specifically told me you've and, and it's been something like this not all of, not all of them have been the same but it's been something like this it goes the conversation goes like this you know pastor will since you've been at grassy pond and you've been encouraging us to read through the bible i had never read through the bible before but i took that up and i've started reading through the bible and and then they begin to tell me what they've learned and how they've been blessed. And, and man, that's a joy. To hear how God's word, how, how people are, are, are getting into God's word and feasting and eating a meal that they haven't eaten before. And, it, and they're finding it's delicious. It's actually really good. And I've had a few say, I don't know why I've not done this before. I really like this. Thank you for challenging us to read through the Bible. Wow, that's a crown. And then there's many of you, such a blessing. I'll, I'll get a text, you know, midweek or, or on, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get, I'll, I'll see somebody somewhere, you know, outside of the church or here on the, on the campus. And, and so many of you will say, boy, I'm, I am praying for you, pastor. I'm praying for your family. And wow, here's, you know, it wasn't, it's, it's not just, boy, that was a good sermon preacher. But it's, wow, as you were, as you were preaching, God really spoke to me. And I, I learned, I saw something. And, and to see God's Grace at work in people's lives that, that there's a hunger and a thirst for the scripture and, and for the word and for truth. Boy, that's a joy. So Paul says, man, you are my joy and crown. I, I love you. I love what God's doing. But here's the next step. And so he says in that very verse, stand firm thus in the Lord. Here's the next step for you to take. Are there next steps for Grassy Pond as a whole to take? Absolutely. We don't look at those things that I've listed and we could list more, right? We don't look at those things and say, look how good we are. Now there's nothing else for us to do. We don't look at those as marks of our perfection. We don't look at those, those signs of grace as, as, as marks that God's saying, you're just fine just the way you are. No, we look at those marks of God's grace at work in our lives, and then we look to see where God's grace might lead us next. 
That's exactly where Paul is taking this church, right? He said, you are my joy and crown. Well, I can't think of another church like you. But <clears throat> stand firm thus in the Lord. Are there next steps? Absolutely. Is there a next step for you to take as an individual believer? Absolutely. Is there one for me as a pastor? Absolutely. We are all on this journey together, moving with Christ toward Christ. That's how we know we're growing if there's never anything new, we're in a stalemate. We're not growing. And it may be difficult. I don't know of any real step that you take that's not difficult. You know, the difficult part is taking the step. Once you take the step, you look back and you think, man, I wish I'd have done that years ago. That was so great. It's taking that step. So Paul says, stand firm thus in the Lord. Now, what is Philippi's situation and, and resolution here? That's what Paul gets into in verses 2 and 3. The situation is two women in the congregation are at odds with one another. They've, they're two people within the church, and they've had a falling out. Now, I know you guys have never, ever heard of that before. This is, this is brand new to us, isn't it? How could somebody in the church fall out with one another and then not speak to one another? In the same church. Avoid one another in the hall from Sunday school to worship. Hold your head down and look the other way in case they might say, hey, you'd have to say, hey, back. I mean, that could never happen, right? Among a people who are all saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. They've fallen out. Now, what's interesting about reading verses 2 and 3, I mean, this really caught my eyes. A lot of times... Of course, what God says in his word is, has been revealed to us, but there's something about sometimes what's not said, right? Because we don't know the circumstances. We don't know who said what. We don't know who wronged who. We don't know if they're both at fault or if one's at fault or if the other's at fault or nobody's at, at fault. They just have false assumptions according, you know, towards one another. We don't know any of the details of this situation because the details are not the issue. The details are what we make the issue. And that's where we lose the one thing Christ prayed for, unity. Unity. So Paul says to these two women, I urge you, I, I entreat you. In other words, he's saying, I beg you. I beg you. 
the unity of the body, reconciliation between fellow believers is more important. That, that's the issue. Whatever caused the division is not the issue. Settling in it in the Lord, that's the only way you're going to settle it. You'll never settle a difference in the flesh. By the way, you'll never settle a, settle a difference in the flesh. It'll never be settled once you get your way. It'll never be settled once you get them back. It'll never be settled once you put them in their place. Flesh will not settle the issue. Passive aggression won't settle the issue. Paul says, here's what you got to do. Agree in the Lord. That's how you do it. Find your common ground in the Lord and put away the differences. Put away the history. Put away the hurt. Put away the, the hard words, the hard feelings. Put it away and come together in the Lord. When I was getting ready to minister this passage today, and I was thinking, next week we have the Lord's table. Man, what a time for this sermon. Wow, what a time for this sermon. God's gracious, isn't he? God's timing. I don't know how these... Somebody asked me this week, how do you, how do you pick what you preach? I don't know, but it, it works, doesn't it? It's like God is saying, I'm going to speak to Grassy Pond from this passage about the importance of unity and reconciliation and being together and being one before they come before my table as one. So we've got a whole week. <laughs> it, I mean, that's gracious, isn't it? What if I preach this next Sunday morning and you had seven seconds? We've got a whole week to get right with one another and get right with the Lord. Put away our differences, find common ground in the Lord. So, so here's the resolution that Paul gives. Paul calls on the church so he's not, just, he's not just singling out these two ladies, is he? He's actually calling on the whole church because they're part of the church. Therefore, their division becomes part of the church's division. Their problem becomes part of the church's problem. Their issue becomes the church's issue. So Paul calls on the church to come alongside these two ladies and help them do what is right. Now, notice what Paul, Paul, how Paul describes these ladies. These are good, godly women. These are really gracious Christian ladies. Paul says, they have labored side by side with me in the gospel. These are godly women. And Paul says, you know what? Their names, I am absolutely confident and I have all the assurance. Their names are in the book of life. These are women of God. But you know what? Good, godly men and women can get sidetracked at times. Good and godly men and women can get self-absorbed at times. Good, 
godly men and women need help from others at times. And so Paul says, church, I ask you, true companion, help these women. Don't sit back and watch and talk and rumor and hope. Get in there and help. Don't let this linger. Don't let this go on. Don't let this get bigger. Don't let this this gap that's been created widen and be further. Get in there. Help. Because the church... When, some, when one of us gets sidetracked or several of us get sidetracked, that's when the church needs to lovingly, biblically encourage forgiveness and restoration and repentance when necessary. So let's go into application here quickly. The next two points are application for us. Number one, what it takes. What it takes, it, when, when the church at Philippi hear this letter... What's it going to take for verses 2 and 3 to actually happen? And so we could put it this way. What, what, whatever God's already spoken to you, he's already spoken to you. He's already said, yep, this is the next step. What will it take? Two things we can see from just reading this and just hearing from the scripture. Number one, if you are Iodia or Syntyche, this is going to require a humble, receptive spirit. See, humility is key for unity. It's going to require a humble, receptive spirit. That's why Paul spent so much time in chapter 2 teaching on humility. It wasn't just to puff up their knowledge. It wasn't just to let uh, the church at Philippi know a lot more things about Christ, which is very helpful, which is very worshipful. But it's to put all that now, to put all that from chapter 2, especially verses 5 through 11, to put it into practice. So that's why Paul is pointing us to Christ as our chief example of humility for the gospel because we're all going to have to practice, we're, we're going to have to pursue Christ and his example of humility. Iodia and Syntyche will not make any progress at all in reconciliation with one another and therefore they will not make any more progress at all in their faith. God says, if you and your brother are at odds, leave your gift, leave it there. Go get right with them and then come back and talk to me. Now, 
They won't make any progress in their faith. They, they won't make any progress in reconciliation without tremendous, gracious humility. When their fellow members come around them and say, we want to help you two godly women. You're, you're great godly examples in this church. We love you. We respect you. We look up to you. And we want to help you make things right because we want you two godly women not only to run well, we want you to finish well. So they can't resort to who's wrong and who's right and who said what and who had an attitude and who did this and who did that. They can't resort to ignoring one another. They, they can't refuse to admit wrong on each part. They will have to be humble. They will have to be receptive, which means somewhere along the way, they have to be willing to repent. Hey man, I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have felt that, shouldn't have reacted that way, shouldn't have said that. I repent. I'm sorry. Let's make it right. Let's agree in the Lord. They've got to get over the hurt. They've got to get past the wrong and reconcile in Christ. How? Through the strength and the grace and the promise of Christ. Listen, what, is, what does Christ Teach us, as we have been forgiven, let us forgive. So the first thing is, Iodia and Syndicate have to be humble, a humble heart to receive. They're going to have to have a humble, receptive spirit. That's why Paul says, agree in the Lord. Look to the Lord. That's how you're going to get this done. But here's the second, time, the second thing. At the same time, those who approach them, those who help them, are going to have to have a humble, right spirit. And that's why Paul says, help these women. Don't criticize. Don't condone. Don't condemn. Don't join sides. Help them. How does that happen? Well, it's going to have to be some people in that congregation, right, that are trustworthy people in order to be helpful. It has to be someone trustworthy, someone these women will know really loves them and is really for them. See, when they read this from Paul, they're, they're going to know, when Paul, he really wants our best for Christ. And so there's going to have to be people in this church that, that, that they know really wants them to be right with one another and therefore right with God. It can't be someone who always goes around telling people what to do. Busybody. New Testament talks about that person too. But that won't be helpful because it won't be received. The person that's always loud and in your face, that won't be helpful. Iodia and Syntyche won't want to hear what they got to say. Back up. You in my space. It's got to be someone trustworthy, someone they know really loves them. Being abrasive and being condemning won't be helpful. Not having an established relationship of Christian love, that won't be helpful. It won't be receptive. It won't be received. But someone, someone, listen to this. 
someone who these two ladies know knows the Lord and comes to them with a broken heart and an open Bible, God will use to begin to melt the walls of bitterness and pride and open a channel of grace in the hearts of these two women. God uses humble, holy people to open channels of grace in cold, hardened hearts. He's always worked that way. So Paul says, church, help these women. That's how God works. Sometimes, listen, sometimes a sermon won't do it. But a loving brother or sister coming and saying, I'm with you. I'm for you. I bleed with you. I plead with you. I'm going to help you walk through this. We're going to get through this together. How to have the right spirit. You got to have a humble right spirit to do that kind of thing. Number one, when we approach one another to encourage one another and help one another we got to remember they had to remember here these women are fellow believers remember what paul says their names are in the book of life treat them such treat them like jesus died for them treat one another like jesus died for them number two remember there may come a day when we are on the receiving end And there may come a day when the church has to come around and help us. Help me. And remember, third, remember this. The goal is the glory of Christ. The unity of the body. The furtherance of the gospel in hearts and in homes. Look quickly at Galatians 6. Verses 1 and 2. Galatians 6, verses 1 and 2. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, that's what I mean by you you got to have a humble right spirit to do this. You who are spiritual should restore him, how? In a spirit of gentleness. And at the same time, while you're going through this, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens. Help! Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Get involved with one another in the nitty, gritty, dirty, grimy things of life and faith so that together we might fulfill the law of Christ. That's the goal. So that leads us to point four. What is at stake? I've kind of already answered that, but let's just go through this quickly. 
So what is at stake here, the church at Philippi? Well, sweeping it under the rug and looking the other way is not an option. Sin will always spread and influence others to go down the same path. This could be a next step for us. Sin will always spread and influence others to go down the same path, to do the same thing, to compromise in the same way, to act the same way. And division will always multiply into disunity unless humility and repentance take their place. Listen to that sentence and let that linger with you. You know, on the visitor, I always put a weekly reflection. This is, this is a good weekly reflection. Division will always multiply into disunity unless humility and repentance take their place. You see, if Yodi and Syntyche do not reconcile, soon some in the church are going to side with Yodia. And some are going to side with Syntyche. And there you go. It looks nothing like the gospel. It looks nothing like the power of Christ. It looks nothing like ransom people. The witness is gone. The power is gone because the unity is gone. Paul tells the church, this has to happen Your unity is at stake. And if your unity falls apart, so will your gospel witness. That's what's at stake. If the believers in the church at Philippi allow this dispute to live on, the church will lose its power and lose its witness, and the gospel will go no further in Philippi. But if they resolve and unify through humble hearts... The city will know the power of the gospel to absolutely transform people into different creatures. The world doesn't reconcile. Paul says, God reconciled us to him and he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. The world don't reconcile. Church does. John 17, verses 20 and 21, Jesus is praying. And he's praying for us in these verses. I love these verses because he's praying for us. In verse 20, he says, I do not ask for these only, in other words, the disciples right here around me. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. And here's what he prays for us specifically, right? Get specific with your prayers. Jesus, how are you specifically, how do you specifically pray for me? Here, verse 21, that they may all be One, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Why? What's the goal? What's the purpose? So that the world 
so that Grassy Pond community, so that Cherokee County, so that South Carolina may believe that you have sent me. The effectiveness of the gospel of Christ hinges on the unity of the local church. That's a church growth lesson, by the way. You see, gospel teaching is for gospel practice because it's the gospel that's at stake. So how about it? How does this apply to you? How does it apply to me? Is there someone you have wronged? Is, have you been wronged by someone? Is there division? Are you part of the division? Are you aware of the division? Here is where the fight of faith takes place will we just hear this sermon or will we actually have faith enough to do this sermon will we act on truth or just agree with truth and fail to act that's the usual path do we love the gospel enough in our lives and in the lives of one another, in the lives of our community, to take some difficult steps of humility towards Christ? And maybe it's not division. Maybe that's not the issue. Maybe there's, an, maybe there's a sin in our lives, or maybe there's an issue or an obstacle or a difficulty or a hardship. I mean, it, it could be anything that's going on in us or maybe we are aware of a fellow believer in our congregation that's deceived or that's overcome or that's weighted down or that's struggling or that's wrestling. What will we do or will we just hear? I pray for, for us, that's me included, us. I, I pray that we would be humble and receptive to loving biblical pleas. And, and I pray that we would be humble, right-spirited encouragers, ex exhorting and helping one another, taking those difficult next steps. This is truly where the rubber meets the road. I, either we merely talk or we actually do. And listen to this, and I'm done. If God is in it and hearts are humble, God's blessings and grace will fall upon a congregation like never before. And that is revival. That is what revival is. It's not a scheduled week of meetings. This alive all over. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we bow before your presence. We love you. We praise you. We adore you. 
We're so thankful for your word. We're so thankful for your promises. We're so thankful for your instruction. We all know there's a next step to take. I don't know what, I don't know what the next step is to take for, for my fellow brother or sister. They don't know what the next step is to take for me. Maybe we do know some of the next steps to take for one another. There's steps our church as a whole to take. There's steps that we as individuals are to take. And we just want to confess, Lord, we know, we know, we know that grace is on the other side. Blessing is on the other side. Victory is on the other side. The power of the gospel is on the other side. But these steps are so difficult to take. Because it requires a ton of humility on our part. We're just... Not normally humble people, God. So would you work that in us? Focus our eyes on Christ today and all he is for us and all he's done for us that it might transform us into a holy, humble people. Oh, we think... We, you, you've done so much. There's so much testimony. There's so much evidence. We talked about that, Lord. We know you aren't working. We know you're doing great things, but we also know there's something else for us. You've got something else. There's always more of Jesus, more of God. Oh, boy, help us see it. Lord, help us see it. And love it more than we love ourselves. God, help us in these next few moments. In Christ's name, amen.